covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for uh, spending a portion of your week with us. We've got a lot to get into today as it has been a very eventful last week for the Milwaukee Brewers. As always, a couple reminders for you. I actually got to throw in a third reminder this week. Uh, first off, we recorded this on Sunday night. We try to keep the content as wide-ranging as possible. So whether you're listening to it Sunday night, Monday morning when it drops, or uh, later on in the week, that it is still uh, relevant. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, if you ever want to get in contact with me, you can always uh, do so by uh, dropping me a tweet at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. You don't have to follow me on Twitter, although I appreciate it if you do, uh, to tweet at me to get a conversation started. You can also always email me, matt.pauley at wtmj.com. And I always hear all the other podcasters do this, so I'm going to do it as well. Uh, if you happen to uh, listen to the podcast on iTunes, would love a review, would love a ranking, whatever it might be, I guess that's good for uh, the podcast. So uh, we, we want as many people listening to this as as possible. So I guess that helps. So if you want to leave a review, if you want to leave a, a ranking, that would be much, much appreciated. Our two featured guests this week, we have two newbies, uh, both guests making their uh, debut appearances here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. In our social media conversation, we'll be talking with Steve Allstadt. He is a writer with uh, Disciples of Euchre. And then in our Down on the Farm segment, we're going to bring in the broadcaster for the short season Helena Brewers. Garrett Green is going to join us on the broadcast. So that is what's coming up uh, during the course of the program today. Like I said, it has been an eventful week for the Brewers. A week that sees them go on a losing streak, a week that sees them not play especially good baseball, and a week that sees them make a fairly significant trade, especially in terms of August trades and what it means for the club. So let's start with the losing streak. They go on a six-game losing streak. It began last weekend in that 2-1 loss to Tampa Bay. That was that was the game where they don't bunt, and we talked about that a lot on last week's program, so we're not going to get back into that today. So they lose that game at Tampa Bay, and then they lose four in a row to Minnesota, and then they open up the Cincinnati series with a loss as well. So during that period, we saw Brewers pitching after it had been so good uh, throughout much of the post-All-Star break portion of the year. We saw the pitching start to give up a little bit. Gave up five runs in the uh, first home game, actually the first game at Minnesota. Gave up 11 runs the next game, then four uh, the first home game, then seven against Minnesota, and then that Cincinnati series opened, and that was the game that was pitched by Jimmy Nelson, where he gave up 10 runs, nine earned, and three and two-thirds innings. And things were just not going well. Now, they uh, in that loss to Minnesota, there was a players-only meeting that was held. And even though they lost that next game to Cincinnati, it was a little bit different because they were able to fight their way back. They were down in that game by a 10-2 score, down eight runs. They put up a seven spot in the sixth inning, and they kept, you know, they get within one, then they were down two, they get back within one, they kept have the, having the potential tying run on base. They came up a little bit short, but that was the first time we'd seen the offense. So you're thinking after that game, okay, if 
maybe the the positive to take out of this is that uh, the the offense is going to get going and they are going to be in much better shape moving forward. They kind of had to follow that up though with something to to give that credibility. Well, they do. Uh, they win the second game of the Cincinnati series in walk-off fashion, 6-5 in 10 innings. It was Eric Sogard scoring on a wild pitch where Sogard makes just a fantastic read from third. Tim Adelman sti- uh, spiked a curveball into the dirt. The ball just rolled a few feet away from Tucker Barnhart, and uh, that was enough for Eric Sogard to score. And then on Sunday, they take the series from the Reds with a 7-4 win, a pretty good offensive day. It started with three runs in the first inning, and they kind of look like the team they look like throughout much of the year. Uh, the other thing, and we'll get more into this in our headlines of the week, but they, they, they make a trade as they go out and they acquire Neil Walker. Now, Walker played third base in his opener on Sunday, but he's generally going to be at second base, and second base has been a position that the Brewers have certainly struggled with. So they bring Neil Walker in, and this says two things. A, it says they, they're continuing to improve, uh, trying to improve the team as the season goes along. But second, there's a belief in that front office that this team still has a chance to make a run and make it into the postseason. I got a call the other day on my on one of my radio shows on WTMJ Radio, and, and frustrated me a little bit because at the time I think the Brewers were three games back in the National League Central. Three games back, that's nothing. I mean, when the Brewers were five and a half up, they lost that lead in, in less than a week. A three game lead can be can be picked up. It can be lost. At, you know, a snap of the finger. And I had a caller who was not happy about the Neil Walker trade because. They said, ah, the Brewers aren't even in this thing. And I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he said, Brewers aren't in this thing. They're, you know, they look at how they're playing. They've lost all this ground. They've, they've done everything they're going to do this year, and they're done. I don't know if the Brewers are going to win the division. I don't know if the Brewers are going to go to the playoffs. It's a, it's a tough test when you look at the talent that's on that Cubs team. Cardinals are playing some good baseball. We know what St. Louis historically has been able to do. But I know this. I think the Brewers are going to still put up a fight. I don't think they're done quite yet. And I appreciate David Stearns going out and acquiring more talent, trying to improve the team without giving up uh, too terribly much. And there there seems to be, and I get this, I get this, because the Brewers as as an organization have had a number of second-half letdowns, post-All-Star break letdowns. And there's a contingent of the fan base that's doing the Oh, here we go again. I I don't think that's completely fair. You know, if it was the if if Doug Melvin is still your general manager, if it's the same regime as it's always been, you maybe say, okay, the second half letdown is kind of part of the team's DNA. But this is a brand new regime. This is David Stearns. This is Matt Arnold. This is Craig Council. This is a very different group of folks, and I don't want to judge what's going to happen in the second half of the season, the post-All-Star break part of the season, the final two months of the year, based off what's happened in earlier years. Now, if they do have a big letdown this year, and then they have another big letdown next year and another letdown after that, and you continue to have the same people in leadership, then it's okay to kind of go back to that thing and say, okay, this is a team that continues to have some letdowns. But I'm not ready to do that quite yet. And to me, they're still in it. 
They are absolutely still in this thing, and it's going to be a, a fun battle as we continue out uh, here over the next uh, couple months of the season. Before we know it, it's going to be September 1st. The rosters are going to be expanded, and then all of a sudden it's going to be October 1st. They're going to be playing that final game of the regular season. There's not that many games left, and the Brewers still have an opportunity to go grab a division title and head to the playoffs. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. All right, Headlines of the Week, we got a fair amount to get into. And the first one, the big one, is something that we did uh, mention in our prior segment. That was Neil Walker being acquired from the New York Mets. He's acquired for a player to be named. So at this point, we really don't know what level of prospect the Brewers give up for him. I think it's safe to say for a rental like Walker and the Brewers, from what I understand, the Brewers pick up a fair amount of his salary for the rest of this season. It's safe to say that you know it could be a good prospect, but it's not going to be one of those elite-type prospects. Uh, Walker's a rental. Walker is a nice player, but he's, he's not somebody... He's not this big, all-star caliber, game-changing guy. He's a, he's a really nice piece to the team, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm putting down Neil Walker because I like the move, and I think it makes the team better for multiple reasons. Uh, we'll, we'll find out it's probably at some point in the offseason. Generally, that's when that happens uh, on, on who they're going to get. The way it generally works is you come to an agreement on a list of players, so, and I don't know if this is the either you agree on somebody and you don't announce it to later for what reason, or what's more more often happens, the general managers agree to a list of players. So then the Mets would then send their scouts out, take a look at all the players on that list that the Brewers have given them, and there's probably a deadline at some point where the Mets do have to select which one of those players that they're going to go with. So we we don't know what the Brewers gave up for Neil Walker. Safe bet. They didn't give up too terribly much for him. And now he makes his team better. He is an upgrade at second base based off the recent performances, the post-All-Star break performances of both Jonathan VR and Eric Sogard. So, you know, both those guys, by the way, both those guys start playing a little bit better when Walker gets acquired. That's not a coincidence. So that's another positive impact of this move. It puts a little extra pressure on the other guys on the team who play that same position as they're all going to be fighting for playing time. But Walker comes in, he's better. He's performed better at the uh, at the plate. He's, he's a fine defensive second baseman, and he's a veteran guy walking in. He's got a great reputation as being a very, very good guy, so he's going to fit into that clubhouse uh, just fine. Now, a number of moves had to be made to get him, and the first one had uh, Brent Suter being placed on the disabled list. Suter has been struggling recently. When you compare the way he started in the rotation when he first went in for Chase Anderson and then what he's been doing more recently – it's two very, very different guys. Brent Suter in the month of July, what, 2-0, 1.50 ERA, 30 innings, 6 runs, 5 earned on 25 hits, 25 strikeouts, 5 walks. The month of August, he is 0-1 with an 8.16 ERA. So essentially four and a half, five times the ERA. 14 and a third innings pitched. 13 runs, all earned on 17 hits, uh, 12 strikeouts, 7 walks. 
hitters hitting 288 against him uh, compared to 229 in the month of July. So it seems like something wasn't quite right with Brent Suter. He goes on the disabled list. He has a mild left rotator cuff strain, according to manager Craig Council. The big question is, does he get back into the starting rotation this year? Because Chase Anderson has one more rehab start to make uh, at AAA Colorado Springs, and we'll get more into that in a moment. He's got one more rehab start to make, and then he's going to be eligible to come back after that if there's no setbacks. So Anderson and Suter coming off the disabled list are scheduled for about the same time, and then not long after that, it's September 1st when the rosters expand. So we'll we'll see what goes on with Brent Suter. He's going to get at least 10 days down, and Chase Anderson's going to be back uh, sooner than later. The team also had to designate for assignment Michael Blazik. They moved Suter to the DL to clear the spot on the 25-man roster, and they DFA Michael Blazik to create the room on the 40-man roster. All right, two uh, injury rehab assignments going on this week. We mentioned Chase Anderson, and... We will start with him. He had his first uh, appearance with the single-A Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. And uh, for the Timber Rattlers, he goes out, he throws three and a third innings, allows one run on two hits with three strikeouts and one walk. So that was his first appearance. That was, you know, just... Just get thrown again, face some live hitting, that sort of thing. And uh, all reports were that that went uh, pretty well for him. So that is good to hear. Uh, so then the next the next thing for him was to go to AAA Colorado Springs. He pitches on Sunday against New Orleans. Uh, at home, by the way, so in the rarefied air of Colorado Springs, four and a third innings, four runs on six hits with two strikeouts and one walk. Uh, he had thrown, I believe, three. Three scoreless innings or four scoreless innings. He had thrown three scoreless innings before he gave up some runs in the fourth inning. He'll make one more start now for Colorado Springs, and then he'll be eligible to uh, come back after that. I guess he's already eligible, but he'll be uh, ready to come back after that, assuming nothing goes wrong. The other player on a rehab assignment right now is Steven Vogt. Vote has played three games as we recorded this on Sunday night uh, with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Uh, one game catching, two games as a DH. He is two for 11 so far, one strikeout, uh, has not walked as he'll make his way back. He'll now join the Colorado Springs Sky Sox for three games. I believe they're in Iowa, and then he should be able to return to the Brewers uh, as they uh, head out on that West Coast road trip that is right around the corner. So Brewers are getting seemingly healthy that's a good thing some key members of this team coming back as they continue to try to make a run into the postseason after every brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. It's time for a social media conversation. Happy to welcome on to the program for the first time. He is a writer over at uh, Disciples of Euchre. His name is Steve Allstat. You can follow him on Twitter at Brewers Keep T-U-T-H. That's a reference to his uh, old blog, which was uh, Turning Up the Heat, and also obviously the song Turning Up the Heat, which has uh, a lot of history with uh, the Brewers. But nonetheless, we welcome Steve Allstat onto the program. Steve, appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing today? 
I'm great. How are you doing? We're doing all right. Let's uh, let's start with this because actually the last thing you wrote over at uh, Disciples of Euchre was uh, just after the trade deadline, and you had a piece about the Brewers uh, wisely sitting it out, basically in terms of not really doing much. Uh, they make the uh, the waiver trade deadline for Neil Walker here over the last few days. Uh, do you like that move from the Brewers? Well, um, yeah, I mean, probably it's hard to say how much you like the move when you're talking to the players to be named later going back. Um, but I wouldn't anticipate it being a prospect of, of huge significance in their rankings. So, um, obviously, he's a proven player who provides offensive value and uh, and obviously had a real nice game today in his first his first game with Milwaukee. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the move. I, it seems like a kind of a low-risk thing. And, uh, and why not, is my thought on it. There seems to be kind of a, a mix between people following this team. There's one group of people that think they still have a, a great chance to maybe win this division and get to the postseason this year and do what you have to do to get there. And then there's another group that uh, the the recent skid before they took two out of three from Cincinnati, uh, falling out of first place, having such the, the offensive struggles recently, feel like they've already had their moments this year and they're going to kind of regress to the mean and don't give up too much and just you know, get, have an opportunity to play some young guys. There's obviously a lot of room in the middle, but where do you stand on that right now, uh, even after the Brewers do take two out of three and obviously are hanging around in the division? Sure. I mean, well, I think they're, I believe, a game and a half out right now. So, um, I mean, certainly they're within striking distance. I mean, there's no reason to say not give it your all this year, and, and you never know. I mean, a game and a half is, is very little with this much left in the season. Um, but what I saw in is, especially coming out of the All-Star break, uh, when they really started their slide, um, you know, when that lead went from five and a half to zero in about a week, uh, that's where I was saying, you know, and I think the trade deadline, trade deadline landed right about there. That's where I was saying, okay, if, if you're stuck about a five and a half game, week, can maybe stomach a big trade, um, but when, when it's, when it, when it was all but gone, I did not want to give up. You know, the one that everyone was talking about was Sonny Gray and how Oakland won and Lewis, for instance. That would have been really difficult to swallow um, because if we had Sonny Gray, the Brewers had Sonny Gray the last couple of weeks, I don't know that he would have really helped the record that much. I mean, the, the problem during the slide has been the offense, and so Sonny Gray isn't going to help that. Um, and to, to give up your number one prospect for that uh, when, you know, you had a shot at the playoffs, but you weren't a favorite for the playoffs. I think would have been short-sighted. So I was relieved to see them not make a drastic move like that. Uh, you know, a small deal for Anthony Forzak or like you talked about today, Neil Walker is one thing. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I still, I'm not going to say they don't have a, a chance to make the playoffs here, but um, I wouldn't expect them to be the favorite. And that's why I was glad to see them kind of act accordingly. The offense gets going a little bit, but it gets going against the Cincinnati Reds, and they're not an especially good team. You know, prior to that, they were scoring two, three, four runs a night on a, on a very consistent basis. They'll play Pittsburgh during the week. They haven't matched up real well with Pittsburgh so far this season before they go on a, on a long West Coast road trip. Uh, are you are you confident that the offense can get back to what it was doing in the first half of the year, especially from a power standpoint where they were leading the National League in home runs for the vast majority of the pre-All-Star break portion of the year? Or are you worried that what they've done since the All-Star break outside the Cincinnati series might be more similar to what they're going to do the rest of the year? Well, I wouldn't say that I'm 
confident they're going to go back to leading the league in home runs the rest of the way. Um, I don't think anybody really expected that. But I did, you know, I did kind of think it would be an interesting offense entering the, entering the season. Um, you know, and, and I don't think it's shocking to see them go into a slump like they have. Um, it has been nice to see them hit a little bit, as, you know, even though it was the Reds, like you mentioned. I, you know, I would think they'd, they'd wake out of it a bit into something more like an average offense. Um, and, and really, if we're looking at an average offense, average pitching, you know, I expect them to be about a 500 team, which is basically what they are right now, a few games over. But, um, you know, I don't think they're quite as good as the, the number one home run hitting offense in the league. But I also obviously don't think they're as bad as they've shown the last couple of weeks. You look at what Ryan Braun's been doing recently. He's getting seemingly a couple hits every single night. Uh, he's hitting for power, home runs, doubles. It's funny because there's there's a group of people out there that don't like Ryan Braun, and then they take that and take it one step further and say, you know, Braun isn't good in the lineup. Aren't we seeing right now what Braun can do when he can health be when he's healthy and the impact that he can make on a team? I mean, I think we've always seen that. Uh, the, the question within the last couple of years is whether he can stay on the field. Basically, whenever he's in the lineup, he's productive. He's probably still their most talented hitter. Actually, I think he's pretty clearly their most talented hitter still. Um, he's still the guy you'd probably want up in a clutch situation. Uh, the problem with him has been his ability to stay in the field. He's finally putting a string of games together here where he's, he's been able to play and he's been productive. Um, I was open to a trade of Brown in the last year or two, um, not because I didn't think he was still a great player, um, but more because of how fearless they have coming up in the system and how it could create some flexibility. But um, if he's going to be here, and it sure seems like he is, uh, as long as he's playing, he's productive. And, and, you know, he's someone you want anchoring in the middle of your order. And it's kind of cool because he's the he's the last man standing from those the, the last Brewers playoff teams. It's it's nice to see him playing in games that matter once again for the Brewers. Absolutely, I mean, it's you know he's he's such obviously he had you know whatever happened with the PEDs and everything, but um, he's just been such a productive player for so long here, and uh, there's no reason that you wouldn't want him around. And it, like you said, it is cool to see and kind of go through a rebuilding process and then come up with, obviously, the next generation of, of great Brewers players, and he's still there to kind of bridge the gap and, and still be productive. So it's been fun to watch. For a while during that losing streak, the starting pitching was going strong, but then it starts to, to fall off. We've seen some tough starts recently from Zach Davies and Jimmy Nelson. Uh Brent Suter wasn't especially good his last time out. He ends up on the disabled list. Uh, we'll see what happens with him. About the time he's act, uh, eligible to come off the disabled list is about the time that uh, Chase Anderson is going to be uh, probably ready to come back as well. We've seen this rotation look really, really good. We've seen it look really, really not good. Where do you stand on it right now from an overall group? Well, um, you know, the... The one that you mentioned was Jimmy Nelson. I mean, he had been having such, uh, until this last start against Cincinnati, which that was the one where you kind of threw up your hands and said, what can go wrong will go wrong, because he had been so great. And, you know, you probably didn't see that coming against Cincinnati, but he's been so great. I mean, really, his numbers all around um, have been out of the eighth this year. And so I would expect him to continue uh, pitching very well. But obviously, the questions are behind him. Davies looks great sometimes, but 
when he struggles to miss bats, gets him into trouble. So, um, you know, the starting pitching was what I thought was going to be the weakness of the team entering the season. And for so long, it, it uh, really carried the team. And I didn't really see that coming. Um, obviously, last year, Jimmy Nelson struggled. I mean, mightily. He, he led the league in walks, um, and he's cut that walk rate way down, and that kind of led the charge. But, you know, Chase Anderson was good. I mean, Suter, when he first came up, had some real strong starts, too. So um, I think they'll kind of continue to piece this together. I would expect Brennan Woodruff to continue to get some starts and see what can happen there. He's had a couple encouraging starts. So, you know, again, I don't think they're a top staff in the NL, and they certainly can't compete with some of the top teams. But, again, it's possible that they could hold their own enough to, to sneak into into the playoffs. We'll see. But. We're talking with uh, Steve Allstadt. He is a writer for uh, Disciples of Euchre. I know baseball is a it's a long season. It's 162 games, and it's always a roller coaster. And you go through hot periods, and you go through some cold periods. But it, it, would you agree that it seems like with this Brewers team, it's been even more of a roller coaster? Where there's been it, it's amazing. Where both from a hitting and a pitching standpoint, where there's been these extended periods of good and extended periods of bad uh, as we've gone through the year. For sure, and that I mean that reflects a lot of individual player seasons as well. I think about like Keon Braxton, who was scorching hot and then way cold, and Eric Saints has been through some peaks and valleys as well. And um, you know, it, it's we're talking about Brennan and how he's so consistent. Um, there hasn't been too many others who have been consistently strong. Um, Sean Santana has been very good, but a lot of the team is up and down, and um, you know. I, it's it's a younger team, and I, I think um, that's not surprising that they're going to be streaky. And um, while a lot of people have been getting frustrated that they've kind of blown this lead here, I I still have found this season really enjoyable because of the fact that they're playing meaningful games into August. So this is experience that players will get, whether they make the playoffs this year or not, um, that will be helpful down the road when they really are going to be contending over the next few years like they're planning to, I'm sure. Looking forward, they have that two-game home series against Pittsburgh starting on Tuesday. But after that, they go on a, a long three-city road trip out west. Last year, they were flirting with 500. I think it was maybe 30 and 33. They were three games under 500, playing well. Went on a West Coast road trip, and they never really got close to 500 again. When when they're done with that road trip, finishing up against the Dodgers on August 27th, do you feel like we're going to know a lot more at that point if this team can continue to contend or if maybe uh, it starts to go a bit bad during that period? I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they're going to play themselves into the playoffs over the stretch, but they could definitely play themselves out of them. Um, you know, like you said, if they had a real rough stretch, only winning a couple games or something like that, and, and all of a sudden you're five games out or something behind a couple teams in the division, um, that's going to be just about on life support. So, I mean, I suppose it's good that you're getting this test. Uh, a lot of good teams in that division out there, and that's a tough road test, and and if you can play, I mean, if you go there and you play 500, they're still going to be in the thick of it. So. Well, Steve, I uh, really appreciate you taking some time with us. Uh, great stuff. We encourage people to uh, read you uh, over at uh, Disciples of Euchre. Again, uh, you had some thoughts about the trade deadline recently, and we'll keep uh, looking out for more stuff and everything on Disciples of Euchre, not just uh, written by you. But thanks so much for uh, taking some time, and we look forward to having you uh, on the program again in the future. Thanks for having me, Matt. 
The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. All right, before we uh, replay our interview with uh, Garrett Green, I do want to just mention something to you because I know a lot of the folks who uh, listen to this are very plugged in to what's going on in the minor leagues. Generally, we record these on uh, Sunday night. Had to uh, do the conversation with Garrett Green a little bit earlier this week. We actually recorded uh, the interview with uh, Garrett on Saturday morning. So if he makes reference to yesterday or today or tomorrow or tonight or whatever that might be, you can remember that we were recording this actually on Saturday morning. So a little bit of a a different schedule in terms of our recording, but still uh, great stuff from Garrett Green. So uh, with that being said, here is my conversation with Garrett Green. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. And right now we're very happy to welcome somebody onto the program uh, for the first time. He is the uh, Director of Broadcasting and Media Relations, meaning he's the broadcaster for the Helena Brewers, the uh, Brewers' uh, short season affiliate. His name is uh, Garrett Green. Garrett, thanks so much for uh, taking some time with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to join you guys for the first time. Yeah, you bet. You know, before we get into any specifics, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding from some people about short season baseball, and they look at these rosters, and there's you know there's a million guys on the rosters, and you're trying to figure out how you know how you're working a starting rotation, and, and who's coming in afterwards. Uh, can, can you talk to me a little bit about the the role of short season and even why the the rosters have you know thirty five guys and the way a, a manager goes and, and manages getting that many guys playing time? Well, I mean, the nice thing about the the way that this season works is that our, our roster is primarily made up of guys who have just been drafted this season. So you're talking about players who they've already spent an entire year playing baseball collegiately for most of them, or some of them even straight out of high school, but they've already put a full season on their bodies, and they're getting used to playing professional baseball for the first time. So what this level lets them do is continue playing baseball, get their first taste of it in a professional league where they are traveling, they are going on the bus, they are spending three, four, seven days on the road and getting an opportunity to get out and see what it's like to be a professional baseball player before they make the move to a full season you know, league where they're going to play 140 games a year. Now, the interesting thing this year about the way that Helena has worked is we actually have had a pretty consistent starting rotation. I believe that the roster has only had 31 moves this year, which is an incredibly low number, and that even includes the adding guys on for a little while there. We were working with a 13-man staff, which, if you can believe it, is a real short number in this league for the number of guys to have out in your bullpen. But the way that it's managed is normally you'll have one guy who will start, and then you'll have another guy who might be kind of a piggyback starter. Now, there might be another guy or two who comes in, but we have guys like Dylan File and Carson Lindell and Michael Peterson, along with Alec Benger, where you'll see them start every fifth day, and then the next fifth day around, whenever their time comes up, they'll normally be the first guy out of the bullpen, and they'll throw two, three innings somewhere in that range. And for the most part, guys don't throw more than four or five innings whenever they make a start, whenever they get a chance to go all on the mound here in short season rookie ball. With these being guys who are just drafted, specifically pitchers, and there are some high school guys in there, there's some college guys in there. How important are our pitch counts? Is that something that's being viewed very closely through uh, through every appearance? You know, I feel like the way that this staff works, they do a really good job managing the guys, and there's not a pitch count on them. They normally have an idea of 
I'd say about 90 pitches is about the limit that they have for guys. They don't want them going out there and throwing more than that. But there's not a strict, you're going out, you're throwing 50 pitches tonight, and once you hit that number, we're taking you out of the game. The, the way that the staff works here, especially in Helena, has been pretty good with letting their guys go out, and maybe they'll stretch them an extra inning or two, but for the most part, there's not a strict pitch count for the guys. There's just a number they have in mind, and they'll let them go to that point. And for the way that the season has gone, for the most part, it's normally stretched into, as I said, about four or five innings for most of the starters this year. I want to ask you about a few specific guys. I'm going to start with somebody who's not even there anymore, but uh, had a fantastic season while he was there, ranking sixth in the Pioneer League in hitting. That's Dallas Carroll. He leaves after 33 games with a 336 average. He's now with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Talk to me a little bit about uh, this guy and what he was doing. Well, it, it was really a lot of fun to watch Dallas play. Uh, you know, he was an uh, All-American his last year whenever he was at Utah. He was a two-time Pac-12 guy, and he played over at third base and was really natural over the position. But really, as you mentioned with the average there, you can hear he was a guy who just found the boy to spray the ball all over the ballpark. And early on, he didn't hit for power. I think it was his first eight games, he went without an extra base hit, but he recorded a hit in all eight of them. So he was a guy who was hitting for average early on, and then you could tell as he got more and more comfortable with professional pitching and got comfortable here in the Pioneer League, the the bat speed really came around and the power came around as well. His last two games that he played with Helena, he homered in back-to-back games and just really impressed me with the way that he had a great approach at the plate. They moved him out to second a little bit to play him up there, and he played a little bit of first base as well. But for the most part, he was over at third. And for a guy who, who hit for average, and again, found this power stroke late. It was great to see him come along. And after he was named to the All-Star team, he was the starting third baseman for the Pioneer League All-Star team this year. I wasn't surprised at all that he was going on to Wisconsin. Very, very sad that he wasn't here to, to help us out for this season. But, you know, that's the goal for guys at this level. You're supposed to be here for half a year and then get promoted up to the next level if you play well enough. And that's exactly what he did. Tristan Lutz so far has played uh, seven games as we speak at 370, three home runs, five RBIs. There's so many people uh, in Milwaukee that are excited about this guy. I know the Brewers were very high and very happy to be able to draft him when uh, when they did. What have you seen so far in this very small sample size from Lutz? Well, I'm just incredibly impressed with the power that he has in his swing. I mean, he will take some pretty healthy hacks, and he's struck out a couple of times so far, but... He had an opposite field home run in Orem that just carried and was really impressive. And then he actually wound up hitting two home runs in that game, and the second one was tracked at 440 feet. Uh, it was a full hit to left field. His bat speed is incredibly impressive. He barrels up the ball really well. And then in the outfield, he shows really good range as well for a kid who's only 18 years old. I know that the staff has been really impressed with him so far. He just sees the ball very well, and you don't see him push a whole lot. You don't see him trying to force things very much. And uh, It's only been seven games, but I've been incredibly impressed with him. And I also know the coaching staff is really looking forward to help him out with things. There are already different things that they see that he wouldn't have learned in high school, and now they're starting to develop with him so he can move on as a pro. And that's the incredibly impressive thing for a guy who's only 18 years old. He's about to turn 19 here in about the next 10 days or so, if I'm remembering correctly. But really, the power that he shows and also the athleticism that he has in the outfield, he's just a big guy in the clubhouse as well. He's very laid back. He, he understands that he's part of the team. It, it's really good to see so far. And honestly, uh, 
he's a guy that I hope we get to watch play here in the Pioneer League for the rest of the season because he'll truly be a joy. One of the most interesting stories for this team and from an individual standpoint is K.J. Harrison because they view him as a catcher. He's played most of his games as a catcher. Uh, hasn't really been a full-time catcher in, in quite some time. Can you talk to me a little bit about his uh, defense and uh, how he has looked so far behind the plate? Well, for the first couple of games, whenever K.J. was behind the plate, you could tell that it had been a while since he had caught. He had two games, I believe, whenever he was at Oregon State this last season that he actually wound up behind the plate. And he told me that he caught pins as well during spring drills and even a little bit of fall camp for Oregon State whenever he was with the Beavers. But aside from that, he hadn't spent full time behind home plate since he was in high school. His first couple of games, you could tell that he was getting used to it. But the last two or three games that we've seen out of KJ, he's really come around. He's got great arm strength. He's got good reflexes, getting better at the way that he frames pitches and Really, the, the, the standout game to me was whenever we were just on the other side of the All-Star break, we had gone up to Grand Junction, and Grand Junction has the leading base stealer in the league. He was sitting at 20 stolen bases going into the game that K.J. caught, and in the two times that he tried to steal on K.J., he got thrown out both times at second base. And he also, K.J. wound up having a back pick in the game as well. He got a guy that was napping off a second base that actually saved the run. So you can tell that the arm strength is coming around. You can tell that the way that he's feeling comfortable around the plate has certainly turned a corner. And after looking a little shaky early on, he's really starting to impress behind home plate with his defensive abilities. And, of course, the bat is still there as well. He's hitting over 300 at this point, has been one of the most consistent hitters for this team since he joined them just a little bit after July 8th. Is this a case where the bat was going to be fine at this level, but it's an opportunity for him to focus more on defense, so it makes sense to have him there where maybe he doesn't have to worry so much about hitting because his bat's already maybe advanced past that level, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, I think that it does. The nice thing about being here, though, is that it also gives him an opportunity to catch about every third day or so. You know, Peyton Henry, who was a sixth-round pick in 2016 this year, and he's a, a more refined catcher from that perspective. So KJ catches about one out of every three games alternating with Henry. And the way that he gets to play is he also gets into the lineup as our designated hitter. So it gives him a chance to keep that bat loose and also work out in the bullpen, work with the guys here, and get more familiar with being a catcher every day. Especially because considering the fact that this guy played for Team USA, he played for a big Division One program. He has just had baseball, baseball, baseball nonstop for the last three or four years. So this gives him an opportunity to take every couple of days off and play here in the league and get ready and also get a feel of what it's like to be a professional every day and show up to the ballpark and grind through a season. Jay Feliciano leads the team in home runs with eight. His batting average is on base percentage, leaves a little bit of uh, to be desired, but do you get the sense that the Brewers organization feels like that power can sustain through throughout the system moving up? I think so, and I think that it demonstrates because they've tried to play him in a couple of different spots. He's been an outfielder this year, but last night we saw him play over at first base a little bit, which, if you think about it, the numbers kind of fit more of a first baseman than they would for an outfielder. He's a guy who, you know, the average is a little bit lower, but as you said, the power is there. I believe he's fourth in the Pioneer League right now in home runs uh, per at-bat. I think he's averaging one out of every 16 or so at this point. I really like the swings that Jay puts on the ball. He had a hit last night where he smoked the ball up the middle. In his previous at-bat, he had bailed up the ball really well, but it took a one-hop into the ankles of the pitcher who was able to collect it and really took a little what would have been solid contact out the center field. 
for a guy who was undrafted but was an All-American when he was in junior college, he's been very impressive. And I think that they're willing to give him a little bit more time to try and figure out hitting for average. But the top of the bat is certainly there. We're talking with Garrett Green. He is the broadcaster for the Helena Brewers. Let's switch over to pitching. I'm looking at the, the league leaders for pitching in the Pioneer League. There's only four guys in the league with a sub-4 ERA who have qualified, only one with a sub-5 ERA. Uh, the, the Nelson Hernandez from Helena is sixth in the league in pitching with a 5.28 ERA. How t- Obviously, it's an offensive league. How tough is it to really judge and assess these pitchers uh, when they're playing in an environment that's so tough to be successful? You know, I think that those numbers that you all trotted out there show you this is a league where in the first week of the season, you were seeing football scores consistently on the scoreboard. Last night was an anomaly all around the league. I think the most runs that any team scored was four in a game last night. It was the first low-scoring night that we've seen all around the league in a long time. But also, that's unfortunately not reflected because, again, these guys don't have the opportunity to stretch six, seven innings in a game. And with a guy like Hernandez, he had one start where he gave up seven runs a couple of times out. It was right before the All-Star break. And so that will skyrocket your ERA up as well. But the last time that he was out on the mound, he looked about as good as he's been all season. He retired 12 out of 13 that he faced at one point, wound up going six innings. He's gone at least five innings and eight of his nine starts. He's going to be on the mound tonight. I've been really impressed with him. He's also a guy who's in his fourth season, uh, the first two in the Dominican Summit League and then was in the Arizona League last year. So he's a guy who understands a little bit better how things work. So I've been impressed with him. But, again, I think with some of these guys, what will happen to them is just as they're coming into the league, they'll – have that one or two starts where they give up a lot of runs, the ERA and plates, and then just simply because you don't see guys go deep deep into games, the innings pitch doesn't catch up for the number of runs that they've given up and keeps those ERAs void just a little bit. So no top 30 prospects, according to MLB Pipeline, on from a pitching perspective. Uh, we, you know, we just mentioned Hernandez. None of the numbers really jump out at you. Cody Beckman's got 2.16 ERA, but that's in just uh, seven games. I guess there's a couple guys in the threes. Uh, but who, as you've watched these guys and beyond the numbers, who do you feel like uh, are some pitchers on this uh, roster that Brewers fans should be excited about going forward? Well, first of all, is a guy who is an eighth-round selection this year, and it's Jason Rose. He's a right-hander who came out of Utah, and he's one of those guys who fell right into the category that I was just talking about. In his debut with Helena, he came out of the pen, he didn't record an out, and he wound up giving up three runs off a pair of homers. But since then, he's settled in really well. His last two outings, ten innings, he's given up four runs between the two of them. He's only walked two, and he struck out 16. He's a guy who at Utah set the all-time career strikeouts record in Utah history and also set the single-season record. He's been really impressive on the mound. He's got a devastating changeup that he's gotten a feel for again. I think he lost it just a little bit whenever he first came around and was pitching here in Helena, but he's really found that changeup, and it's been a pitch that he's used to get out of situations and rack up strikeouts this year. Uh, from a starting perspective, I also really like Dylan File. Uh, he's a guy who was taken out of Dixie State a little bit later in the draft. I think he was a 21st-round selection. Uh, but he's a guy who doesn't have overpowering stuff, but he understands how to throw the balls that he or throw the pitches that he has. And he's also a guy who really understands swing planes really well and knows how to pitch around batters. So those are two guys who, who really get me excited whenever I watch them. 
come out and play. And Beckman, as you mentioned, is from a bullpen perspective, is a great guy to watch. He's a left-hander. He's a fastball, curveball guy. He's got a devastating curveball and has looked good in all of his outings that we've seen for him here in Helena so far this year. His name is Garrett Green. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can do so uh, at Garrett underscore Green. Green with an E at the end, so G-R-E-E-N-E. Garrett, great to uh, talk to you a little bit. Thank you so much for uh, the insight on some of the Helena Brewers, and uh, hopefully we can chat again uh, as the season uh, starts to come to a close here in the next uh, couple months. Hopefully we can. Thanks again so much for having me. It was great to get on and you know, share what's happening at the uh, rookie level of the Milwaukee Brewers. All right, that was Garrett Green, the broadcaster of the Helena Brewers, as uh, that just about wraps up this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, powered by WTMJ Mobile. So here is what's coming up over the course of uh, the next week or so for the crew. They have an off day on Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, they have a home series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. These are two important games for multiple reasons. First off, they're divisional games, and the Pirates are still sticking around in the NL Central. Second, you know, you're trying to get the taste of that losing streak out of your mouth. You just take two out of three against Cincinnati. Now, if you can somehow sweep the Pirates, that'd be good. The Pirates are a team that you have struggled against this season as well. It'd be good to have uh, some success against them. With off days scheduled for both Monday and Thursday, they're moving the pitching rotation around a bit. We told you earlier, Brent Suter on the DL. They're going to go with four starters uh, at least for a little while. They've got the opportunity to do that with off days on the 14th, the 17th, and then another off day a week later on the 24th. So we'll see when they need that fifth starter once again. But they're going to be able to do some things. And by the time you get to that point, uh, Chase Anderson might be ready to uh, come off the disabled list. That's something that we'll talk more about on next week's program because that will be coming up. But uh, they skip Brandon Woodruff's uh, time through the rotation. Uh, They make use of the off day on Monday and on Thursday for that matter, and they're going to go with a combination of Zach Davies and Jimmy Nelson in those two games against the Pirates. This is the time of year where you start seeing things like that. When you're skipping guys in the rotation, when you're making use of off days, when you're you know kind of... shrinking that starting rotation and it's not just a straight five-man rotation it's because these games mean a little bit more so they'll play those two games against the pirates then have another off day on thursday and then they start one of the biggest single stretches of the season because they go on the dreaded west coast road trip it starts with three in colorado against the rockies the rockies have played well this season although slumping recently then they go to san francisco for three games giants have not been good this year but it's still a tough place to play the giants have been a little bit better this year uh lately i should say and then they'll go to the dodgers for a three-game series we'll talk more about uh those those, especially the giants and the dodgers series on next week's podcast after they had wrapped up that uh, first part of the road trip with the three-game series against the Rockies. I I think I said this earlier with uh, Steve Allstadt. I'll say it again. Remember last year, they were flirting with 500 at, I believe, 30-33 and fairly early in the season, you know, 63 games into the year. And they went on a road trip, and it was out west, and they really struggled, and they never saw it again. West Coast road trips do something to you. 
For some reason, there's something worse about the West Coast road trip than there is about the East Coast road trip. West Coast road trips just do something to you. Luckily for the Brewers, two of the three uh, teams that they're playing are very beatable teams in the Rockies and the Giants, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, the game time, 6.40 first pitch on Tuesday against the Pirates. That means coverage on WTMJ begins at 6.05. 1.10 on Wednesday against the Pirates. WTMJ's uh, coverage uh, that day will start at 12.35, and then when they head out west on Friday night against the Rockies, it's a 7.40 first pitch. Actually, check that. Uh, yeah, it's 7.40 first pitch. S- uh, Saturday is a 7.10 first pitch. Sunday is a 2-10 first pitch. Uh, we will have Brewers extra innings after those games on WTMJ for the night games. Also, uh, don't forget, we do bump some Brewers games on WTMJ over to our sister station, 94.5 KTI Country, when the Packers are on. So if you ever tune in WTMJ and it's a Packers game and not a Brewers game, you can just flip over to 94.5 on your FM dial and you can find the Brewers uh, right there for that night. All right, that's going to do it for uh, the program. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Appreciation as well to our two guests, Steve Allstadt from uh, Disciples of Euchre and also Garrett Green, the broadcaster for the Helena Brewers. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.